listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. We begin with breaking news in the Dufferin and Steeles area where there is a huge police presence on Magnetic Drive at Alna Street where apparently someone walked into a commercial business and began shooting. One woman taken to hospital in serious condition, a second person to hospital with minor injuries. This is an active scene. Mark Saunders, the police chief, is speaking to the media. Let's go to him. Good. Okay. So today at approximately 1024, Toronto yep. police were called to this address on Magnetic Drive. Uh, upon arrival, what we found is a, uh, we found a female that uh, suffering from gunshot wound. Uh, firefighters have taken her out and she was uh, immediately transported to uh, Trauma Centre. Uh, further investigation has revealed that there was another uh, victim that uh, was also shot. Uh, that person had made their own way to a, a hospital in York Region. Uh, with the assistance of York uh, Police, uh, due to the nature of the injuries, that person is now uh, on an emergency run to a trauma centre in the City of Toronto. A third person has suffered but looks like from uh, anxiety attacks as a result of this. Uh, our evidence tells us right now that uh, this was in fact a, a robbery. Two suspects arrived on scene, uh, demands were made and uh, people were shot. Uh, we have right now the air cordoned off by the uh, public safety response teams that are trained in this type of uh, event. Uh, emergency task force is also on scene and has cleared the area. Uh, they further looked at the whole industrial plaza that is here and cleared it to make sure that there are no suspects that are outstanding. Uh, the police dog services are also on scene. We believe that there could be potential uh, evidence that is still here that needs to be located. So that's why uh, we've got all of these resources that are here. Um, we'll have further uh, evidence to, to give later on with respect to suspects' identi- identity, or, or not identity, but descriptions. Uh, we're aggressively investigating this as, as a result of this investigation. Um, we're looking for and appealing for anyone that saw anything in the area of Magnetic and Altness to please contact the police. If you had video cams or anything, uh, please uh, help us by giving us the information or giving us that evidence at 416-808-3200 or Crime Stoppers if you wish to remain anonymous. Uh, you can see that there's a Home Depot that's to my right. It's immediately across the road from this location where this robbery has taken place. And uh, we're also looking for evidence that may have been captured or a portion of, uh, of, of this incident that has happened and hopefully we'll be able to solve this. All right, that is breaking news coming to you from Police Chief Mark Saunders who is reporting that this was a robbery at a moving company near Dufferin and Steeles right across the road from the Home Depot appealing that anyone who saw anything or perhaps has dash cam video to contact police we will stay on top of this developing news story. Our Catherine McDonald is live on the scene and is going to join us in a couple of moments with the latest on this breaking news. But the other breaking news we have is from the education front. And you heard in the news that the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario is planning to begin work to rule as of November 26. But there is a much more pressing deadline in the offing, and that is Monday, November 18th, when the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, or OSSTF, moves into a legal strike position. If you have kids in the school system, you know that tomorrow is a PA day. Will high school students be going back to school on Monday? Harvey Bischoff is the president of OSSTF and joins me on the line. Hi, Harvey. Good afternoon, Al. So you are in a legal strike position. Are we on a countdown to some kind of labor action beginning Monday? 
Well, to be clear, um, we haven't quite completed uh, taking central strike votes, so that will we'll complete that process by tomorrow. At that point, we'll know if our members have given us a mandate. Um, and you know, every every indication is that uh, is that they are uh, that they are resolved to to give us that mandate. The other thing, though, is that's important to recognize is in order to take strike action under the school board's collective bargaining act, you have to provide five days notice. So if we had planned to take no, uh, action on Monday, we would have had to have given no, given notice yesterday, which means it tells you that students will absolutely be in school on Monday. But as we go later into next week, that is really anybody's guess. Is that what you're saying? Well, I can I can say this: um, parents, students would never have less than five day, days notice of any action that we would that we might take. So tomorrow, you're going to release the strike vote numbers, and as you say, in these cases, you always get a overwhelming strike vote, a mandate from your uh, from your membership. Will you announce a five day countdown as of tomorrow? Tomorrow we'll actually complete the uh, the uh, process of collecting those strike votes with the announcement of the of the votes to come uh, to come uh, you know shortly thereafter. So Monday, um, that's when we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about next steps in in bargaining on Monday as well. Are you planning to implement a five day countdown when you get your strike vote mandate results? I have to tell you what we're really planning to do. We have four days of bargaining scheduled for next week. We're in bargaining today and tomorrow, plus four more days uh, next week. What we're planning to do is get to a collective agreement that supports student learning conditions. Uh, we're planning to push back the government on its plan to, to massively increase class sizes and cut thousands and thousands of teachers and education workers out of the system, uh, who many of whom support our highest needs kids. That's our goal. It remains our goal. Um, what we need is a Minister of Education who's going to go to Doug Ford and say, look, what you announced back in March is a terrible idea for kids and for our future, um, and let's turn that around and get to the bargaining table and be serious about moving forward. At the bargaining table, how much is an impediment, or how much of an impediment is the passage of Bill 124, that is a 1% cap on public sector wages, uh, the president of ETFO was on this radio station an hour ago. I want to play for you what he said about that bill and what it means at bargaining for them. That bill is interfering with discussions at the table, but we are not at the table now uh, focusing on salary. That is Sam Hammond saying that the passage of Bill 124 is an impediment to getting a deal. Is that the same for OSSTF? Well, let me say a couple things about that. First of all, that bill completely undermines the minister's claim that he wants to bargain in good faith, because you don't, on the one hand, bargain in good faith, and on the other hand, introduce a blunt legislative implement uh, at the bargaining table that prevents exactly the kind of creativity that would lead us to a deal that both sides can willingly put their names to. But secondly, I'm not the least bit embarrassed to say our proposal with regard to my members' compensation is that they keep up with the rate of inflation that they make in real terms the same next year as they made this year. That's that's what we're asking for on behalf of our members. Um, and given that the rate of inflation is higher than 1% right now, I would say that legislation has every possibility of being a real impediment at the bargaining table. So how possibly can you get a deal if there is actual legislation, legislation in place, Harvey, that says you cannot have more than a 1% raise? Yeah, it's highly problematic. There's another rather peculiar clause in the legislation that says the minister can exempt 
uh, any negotiated deal as well. So if they want to stick with that and if they want to exclude us from the legislation on the basis of, of uh, the minister's decision, then fair enough that it won't be an impediment. If it turns out that it is an impediment, then there are, of course, other avenues that we're likely to pursue. You are challenging that legislation in court. Yeah, I mean, we haven't actually filed anything yet, and, and we'll, you know, we will see um, to the extent that it creates an impediment at the bargaining table, but we're certainly prepared to if it interferes with my members' rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as a previous government did and was found to have done so by the courts, um, then absolutely we will, we will challenge it in court. I, I get your point about the five-day notice and that you would not be leaving parents in the lurch because you can't, and you just, that, that's a legislation for that. But here we have legislation that says that you're only entitled to, at most, a 1% raise, and you're saying that that's not acceptable for your members. I think for a lot of our listeners that have kids in the system, that sounds like we're on a collision course for labor disruption. I, I appreciate that anxiety. I mean, I'm a parent myself, and I and I understand the anxiety that parents are feeling, and I and I sympathize with that. Um, there's no need for this collision course. Um, it's it's time for the government to reevaluate its position, look at what parents actually want in terms of class sizes, and like I say. I think that our position on compensation couldn't be more reasonable. We're not looking to catch up on the last seven years of losses that my members have incurred um, with regard to inflation. They've fallen 10% behind over the last seven years. We're saying let's just... Let's take this whole wrangling about compensation off the table, in fact, peg it to inflation, and then let's move forward talking about things that that are good for our students. Harvey Bischoff is president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, which are in a legal strike position as of Monday. Harvey, thanks for being on the program. My pleasure. Thanks, Alan. Welcome back to the program. I think there is still more meat on the Don Cherry bone that we need to chew. We need to look at this from a couple of different angles. I I think it still reverberates across this country, and I know a lot of people are saying now, well, you know, who's going to replace Don Cherry and who's going to be on Saturday night, uh, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night? And frankly, that does not interest me in any way whatsoever, in none. Listen, we are well past the time when people would turn up the first intermission in a hockey game to find out what's going on. That is long in the past. I think what is more important here is that we look at what was said, how it was said, and try and interpret some kind of truth, if we can. And I want to begin with that pro-Don Cherry rally that happened outside the Rogers headquarters yesterday. If you saw any of it, you might have thought, well, there's a, you know, maybe a couple of dozen people there, maybe 25, 30. It was tough to tell how many people were there because you had to subtract the cameras and the journalists. And once you took them out of it, there was not very many people there at all. In fact, this was yet another case where journalists and the media were far in excess, far more of them than there were actual protesters of people who showed up. Now, there may be a reason for that. I want to play this from one of the people who did show up and talk to the media. I think it's always a political thing, yeah. There's two real big divides around. You're either left or you're right. There's no more in between, right? So the left is taken away. Like, sometimes I feel like we're in 1930s uh, Germany, you know? We're not allowed to say anything anymore. We're not allowed to say anything anymore, 
were people concerned that if they'd shown up that they would be tarred with whatever brushes being painted on Mr. Cherry? Was that really a concern? And do you believe what you heard there, that this is a left-right issue? How did we get into left versus right? Isn't it just right and wrong? So I went back and I listened to our full interview of Don Cherry that we did on Tuesday for Global News. It runs about 15 minutes in, in, in its entirety. And I want to take you behind the scenes a little bit about how this all happened, because you may have noticed that on Tuesday, Mr. Cherry was pretty much everywhere. He did a number of interviews. Um, On Monday, of course, he had an interview with Joe Warmington, who will join me on the line in just a moment to talk about his role in this. And I will point out that Mr. Warmington is a columnist and that there is a distinction between being a columnist and being a straight-up news journalist. And I'll just have you keep that in mind when we bring Joe on, and it'll be just a couple of moments. But here's how it happened in terms of how Global got its interview. Essentially, our reporter, Morgan Campbell, just went to Cherry's home and just camped there, just, just stayed there. And there were a number of other media outlets there, and eventually Mr. Cherry came out, talked to them, and invited us in. And so we go in, and we set up in what I I believe is his den. looks like his den. He's got his bobbleheads behind him there. And and he speaks in this interview to our Morgan Campbell. Uh, Here is, I think, the the central problem I have with everything that Mr. Cherry has said subsequent to his initial rather shocking statement on Coach's Corner. This, I think, sums up where I have some real troubles. I forget what the word it was, uh, anyone, but the, the, what, it, what I was, should have said, everybody. And if I had to do over again, I would have said everybody. Because uh, the silent majority, as you know, that are, that are with me, are silent. And the people that uh, jumped on it are not silent, and that's what uh, Sportsnet listened to. That is Don Cherry. Here, I want to skip ahead now here. This is the part that makes no sense. Uh, number three, apologize. Do you want to apologize? Have no, no, I, I, I said, I, I think the closest I'll come to apologize is saying, I wish I had used every, I used different words. That's the only thing. It, it, uh, and uh, I think Ron, if he had his apology after, I think what happened is, I think that it, uh, it, it, they jumped on they jumped on it pretty hard. They jumped on it pretty hard. You don't think that it deserves an outright apology, though? I mean, if you... Well, no, I, I think that uh, I, th- I was ready to apologize and uh, and for Sportsnet uh, Saturday night, if I had it been on, uh, I was uh, going to put out a t- uh, tweet or whatever they do and saying I was wrong. And uh, I think it could have smo- been smoothed over pretty good, but that's the way they wanted it, and uh, that's the way it goes. That is Don Cherry in conversation with Global News reporter Morgan Campbell on Tuesday. If he was going to apologize, then why not apologize now? I don't understand that, that that it just makes no sense. I was going to apologize on Saturday, an entire seven days after I said this thing, that I admit I should have used different words. I was going to apologize. And then when Morgan Campbell asks him, well, do you want to apologize now? No. No, I don't. I don't understand that. I don't think you cannot add that up. That sounds disingenuous, and it takes away from everything else that Mr. Cherry says. And then, in the middle of the interview, this moment. 
What I wish I had said was, I wish everybody would wear a, a pocket, and I used the wrong word. Uh, I something. There's something. I'll, I'll start over oh, there. is that the doorbell? That's the doorbell. Oh, uh, it's uh, CTV. You want me to let him in, or no, not yet. No. Or can you just tell them we'll Keep just them finish out. this up? Keep CTV outside at all times. That voice you heard there—it's CTV, I believe—is Joe Warmington, columnist for the Toronto Sun, who joins me on the line. Hi, Joe. How you doing? I'm good. You write in the. On. You're piling on. Keep I'm, it going. All right. I'll get to you in a moment, sir. In the sun today, you write this. I am hoping saner heads will prevail and we get Coach's Corner back where it belongs. Forgive Don for a minor faux pas. Make amends to those who feel hurt by what they think Cherry was trying to say and then go back to entertaining the audience on Saturday night. You think that that's what it was, a minor faux pas? Absolutely. And and you know that's what it was. I mean, there's no racism here. And even the thing I can explain the the clip there that you think is so serious is you just got the wrong word. He said apology instead of uh, clarifying it. He explained it three different ways to Morgan. I was right there when I listened to it. Interview. I listened yeah, to it. He said he was going to you know put something out. Yeah, he, but, but he, now he, he won't apologize. Word, he used the word apology. When he meant clarify, I know you've never ever mixed up words, Alan. I know that's never happened. This is not about me. Uh, no, it is about you because you're sitting there and you're basically saying that, you know, he, why didn't he apologize? He said the wrong word there. I mean, it's clear that he wasn't going to apologize. That's the whole point of it. And, you know, all these people they go to, as you, you said something about Don Cherry was everywhere. He was in his house, he wasn't everywhere. The reporters went to his house. He, he was on Tucker Carlson. Well, yeah, uh, he was invited on Tucker Carlson. That's the only he one was he went to the studio. Everywhere. You, you, you just want you, you want you want to pile on him and you want to beat him up. That is ridiculous. I am not piling on. I am pointing out some inaccuracies or at least some inconsistencies in what he has had to say. You know what? Inconsistencies when everybody knows what he was trying to say, but they don't want to hear it. They want to make it into a racial event, which it wasn't. And I know that because I was with him, I talked to him the night before about the poppies, and what he said to me was a longer version of what he tried to say in that shorter version in the Coach's Corner segment, which is moving pretty fast. He he mashed together three or four thoughts, and it just didn't come out right, and that's all it is. And you guys can have your fun, and you get your pound of flesh too. You may not win, though. Because I don't, I don't understand. Thousands I don't thousands get the anger here. Do you in. think, perhaps, Joe, that maybe you might be a little too close to the story to be objective uh, about it? You know what? Uh, again, I could say that about you on things. I mean, I wonder sometimes if you get too close to maybe the liberal government. But I would never question your integrity. Why are you? I, I, that is a that is a serious case of whataboutism, Joe. Yeah. You know what? You called me here, and you could attack mine. Integrity. I, I am not. Radio. I Just want to be clear. I am not attacking you at did, all. Did, did Joe. you work with Tina on earlier when she said, "Why, why are you as mouthpiece?" I'm not afraid of you guys. Like you guys are nothing but corporate journalists. They're doing the party line, and I'm the independent guy. Joe, I asked you on to clarify. That's what I asked you on to do. We'll tell it as it is. I'm not going to go your way. 
I, you know, you want to say I'm too close to the story? I'm asking if you've reflected on that. Well, what does that mean? Like, what, what, who, who are you? What's your name again? Just like with Tina. I mean, if, okay, go ahead. Ask me the next question. Do you think Don Cherry should apologize? Absolutely not. He didn't do anything wrong. And I think who should apologize is Rogers. And I think that Ron McLean is, owes him an apology as well. And, um, you know, a few other people. And um, it would be nice if they did that because he didn't say what has been said he said. And uh, if he had said it, that'd be different. And I don't think it really matters because your mind is made up. I don't know how you got to that conclusion with what I had to say. What I you had like you it, on you, for. You, you, only, you only like to do the attacking. You don't like it the other way. <laughs> But I'm not a politician, so... I don't Joe, you're a columnist, that. and I pointed yeah. that out because you yeah, have some right. latitude I that I don't. I story as I want to. I mean, I don't work for you. No? I work for the audience. And the audience understands, and my audience understands what's happening here. And so, you know, you go ahead and do it your way. We'll see who wins. I mean, at the end of the day... Why does it have to be there? who wins, Joe? Uh, you are such a spin doctor. Ask me a real question here. Instead of trying to attack and I am, around, <laughs> I'm not a cab, I'm not a cabinet minister. <laughs> you know, I, just the same as you. I appreciate that, and Joe, right we are look, we're out of time, but I don't want to leave oh, this. Sure I, we like, are. Well, you know, we're in private broadcasting. It's not the CBC. I don't get to run on forever. I got to actually sell some soap. That's how it works. You sell ads, so do I. You know what I do is I, I tell stories that are happening in the real way, and I don't do what the corporation tells me to do. You ought to try it. Joe, I don't want to leave this on a bad term because I, I appreciate your contributions, and I appreciate you coming on the show. You're right. I reached out. I asked you to come on here. I don't want to leave it on a bad uh, on a bad note. Hey, we go- you, we you good? Made, you, made, you made it about me, and, you know, it's really more about you, and uh, that's fine. Okay. And uh, you, you know what? Anytime you want to call, I mean... I don't know if you'll call again, because I think it's the first time you have called. I put you on TV before you know this. You know oh, that this. Was, that was, yeah, and, and so one wrong word on your show, and that's the end of your career? Is that how it works? That is not like, Don't how you have it to works. go sell some soap or something? I do. You say you have to sell soap? I do. I don't know why you would say something like that, you know? I, because it's a private broadcasting. I don't know if you know... How private broadcast? You know how private broadcasting. Oh no, I works. don't know how private broadcasting. Works, I'm, you no. know exactly how it works because you're a private broadcaster. You know what I think? You know what would be good for you, Alan? I think you should go in there. Okay, Coach's Corner. That's I gotta go. I really are. do. I really do have to go. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate right. you. I do appreciate right. being on the program. Thank you. All right, all the best. <laughs> We're back in a moment with Jackson Prosco. We have breaking news from the United States and the ongoing impeachment inquiry, but let's get this up to speed. A historic impeachment hearings are underway. Democrats, Republicans hardening their arguments over the actions of President Donald Trump as they set out to win over a deeply polarized American public. Here's Mary Bruce. 
Both sides are digging in this morning. Democrats say that this first day of testimony revealed that the president abused his power, while Republicans say this hearing didn't show any of that. They say there is no pressure that was being put on Ukraine. And now these new revelations about another phone call are raising new questions about the president's personal role here. And there is breaking news on that front. A second U.S. embassy official has now said he overheard President Trump's call about the need for Ukraine investigations. That is according to an AP source. Jackson Prosco is our global correspondent in Washington, joins me on the line. Hi, Jackson. Alan, good afternoon. What do you make of this uh, breaking news today? Well, what I would say is that yesterday seems to have opened the door to a whole bunch of things, including this report that's now out there. Apparently, this second official who uh, had overheard this call between Gordon Sondland, who is the U.S. ambassador to the EU, and President Trump talking about the need for Ukraine to launch these investigations, this person was apparently subpoenaed to testify in the closed-door hearings uh, several weeks ago, couldn't make their original deposition, and just hadn't been rescheduled, were it not for what we heard yesterday directly from Ambassador William Taylor about one of his staff overhearing this same phone call, we might not be in this position where this second person is now coming forward seeming to corroborate the story. So my favorite show is not on TV today. It returns tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, tomorrow we're back. Next week is going to be huge. Eight witnesses next week. And I think where it gets really interesting next week is that a lot of the people uh, have first-person knowledge of this alleged scheme. One of them is Gordon Sondland, that Trump mega-donor who was at the heart of this uh, sort of irregular diplomatic channel with Ukraine. The other one is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, and he, of course, is that uh, high-ranking White House official whose job was to be up on issues with Ukraine. He was on the phone call between Trump and Ukraine's President Zelensky was so concerned by what he heard, he went to his superiors twice about it. You know, I think for a lot of Canadians, there is a fatigue factor and a kind of a wake-me-up-when-we-get-to-something-that's-really-important because it seems like we go through this and we go through this and there's, there's so much noise in all of this. Are we getting any closer to anyone who actually heard this thing and is not uh, talking about hearsay? That's what those people I'm describing next week will do. I mean, these are people who were directly involved, were directly speaking to the president. Gordon Sondland, for example, has already had to revise his original testimony to say, yeah, there was a pressure campaign on Ukraine to get them to investigate the Biden. So he has now come out and corroborated this. Uh, You can't get any closer without hearing from the president himself and a couple of other White House officials who are either refusing to testify or are being blocked from testifying by the White House. And I guess that's my point, is that those first-person narratives are being blocked by the White House. To an extent, yeah. I mean, uh, Mick Mulvaney, who is the acting chief of staff, was named directly yesterday as the person who was withholding this funding to Ukraine. No way he's testifying unless he is ordered by the courts to do so. John Bolton, former national security advisor, seems to be on the fence about cooperating, but he is basically saying, let the lawyers hash this out, let the White House decide if, in fact, I can talk, which seems to be a way of kind of skirting that, if you will. It, it does sound like, if reading between the lines with Mr. Bolton, I mean, he did not depart under good terms, and it, he may be the one that comes in and really is the haymaker in all of this. And according to the testimony we've heard so far, Bolton called the whole scheme a, quote, drug deal and said he wanted nothing to do with it and actually shut down several meetings where it arose. So I think he'd be a pretty important person to hear from. Jackson Prosco is always an important person to hear from. (laughs) Jackson, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much.
couple of quick updates on stories we're following. The Minister of Education has put out his statement that he is disappointed that ETVO has announced that it will begin work to rule as of November 26. And keep in mind, folks, that when ETVO says it's beginning work to rule, you if you read between the lines of what Sam Hammond, the president, was saying today, that's phase one. That is phase one, which indicates or or begins with administrative stuff and then moves on from there. The other breaking news we have is in North York near Dufferin and Steeles, where there has been a robbery and a shooting this morning. Catherine McDonald is live on the line with more on that. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. Yeah, I'm standing here across the street from uh, the scene of this shooting. It was a uh, moving company called Hercules Moving and Storage. Um, according to police, uh, three people uh, were treated. Uh, a woman who was uh, rushed to take a hospital in serious but non-life-threatening condition. A man who worked also at the business. He was driven to hospital uh, from, by a co-worker, I'm told. Police have then transported him to another hospital, uh, to a trauma center, as his injuries are quite serious. And then there was a woman treated unseen. Uh, she had a, a anxiety from what she witnessed. Now, I've been speaking to a number of uh, people who are here, uh, who work here at the plaza. I spoke to a woman who's right next door. She works in a flooring shop, and she says around 10.30 she heard uh, bang. She didn't know what it was. Next thing you know, someone from the neighboring storage company came over and said, call 911. She didn't know if uh, if it was a prank or not. She did that. And before she knew it, she said police had arrived on scene. There was a, a, a huge police presence. Uh, the ETF, canine unit, uh, the chief even came out. Um, apparently, two masked men walked into this business, uh, this moving company, and uh, and there was uh, some kind of altercation, and there was a shot fired. Um, we don't know how many shots were fired. I did speak to a man who says he is a contractor for the moving company. He spoke to his boss, and his boss was not on scene, but he had spoken to a number of employees who said that only one man had been shot. Uh, I assume that is the man who was then transported to a trauma center after he drove himself to hospital with the assistance of a coworker. So um, uh, people here are very frightened. The woman next door said this is so difficult uh, to understand at 10:30 in the morning that people could walk into a business and uh, and fire a shot or two, um, uh, you know this is a very small company. Uh, it's sort of off in a corner of a plaza of an industrial plaza, across from a Home Depot, very busy area, you know, Dufferin and Steel. So you wonder why why would someone target this company? Uh, the police do believe this may have been targeted. Um, and right now they're still looking for evidence. We see uh, officers doing grid searches through snowbanks looking for any evidence. The area is still taped off. Catherine McDonald is live on the scene as the police continue their investigation. Thanks, Catherine. appreciate that update. You're welcome. Disney Plus has launched. It is the new streaming service from Disney, and on that service you can see all of the old classic Disney movies on demand. Well, wait a minute, not all of them. Plus, Disney Plus is warning subscribers that some of its most beloved classics might contain, quote, outdated cultural depictions. That is in the warnings. Forget about scenes of smoking or inappropriate language. We have outdated cultural depictions. Adam Wallace is a writer with Global News Online, joins me in studio. Hi, Adam. How's it going, Alan? It's going well. When it comes to outdated culture depiction, I don't think anybody gets better at it than Disney. That's right. They have so many examples over the year. Um, I mean, they started in, what, 1923? Like, there's years to cover of just 
inappropriate stuff. And now it kind of seems like everyone's addressing it uh, with Disney Plus because of these warnings. Because you, now you have access to it. And, for example, what what do you think when you hear this, folks? My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. That, of course, is Zippity Doodah. The centerpiece of the movie Song of the South. It won an Oscar when it came out in 1946. The CEO, the chief executive officer of Disney, says don't expect to ever see it again. Possibly never. It is not available on Disney Plus because of its depiction of a relationship between a former slave and master. The NAACP said Song of the South gave the impression of an idyllic master-slave relationship. And obviously that's problematic, but it raises the question, Adam, of other movies that now are just simply culturally inappropriate, but yet they remain classics of cinema. We could start with Dumbo, uh, one of Disney's classics, 1941, I think. Uh, They have a scene, I don't know if you remember, but there was these crows... And one of the crows is named Jim, Jim Crow, which uh, back in the 40s or so, that was that in itself was this huge anti-African-American law in the, the southern states. It was totally about segregating them. Um, but they, they kept the scene in despite reports that it would be removed. And then we move to other non-Disney movies, like, for example, Breakfast at Tiffany's, one of my favorite movies of all time, except for I can't watch it anymore without seeing the portrayal of the guy upstairs, Mickey Rooney, dressed as a Japanese man. It's crazy. I mean, there's so many movies that do this. Um, even even more recently, like Tropic Thunder, they had the, the whole blackface thing with Robert mm-hmm. Downey Jr. Um, that, that's more recent. Too, but and you, and you think of like movies like Passage to India, where Alec yep. Guinness yep puts on blackface, and that's that's an Oscar winner, and it's much more recent. And then you think about movies like The Party with Peter Sellers, notorious what for about, Peter Sellers dressing up. What about uh, Passion of the Christ? Uh, very religious film, Mel Gibson, but that's. Seriously, it didn't portray uh, Jewish people well to the media. That, that was just awful. Cineplex.com has a list of the top 50 most racist movies of all time. And I am going to give you the top three. Number three, Planet of the Apes, 1968. The article points out that not only are, is it an allegory? Also, within the movie, the light-skinned apes are the ones that help the humans. They are the good characters. The dark-skinned apes, always, through all of those movies, the darker the skin of the ape, the more evil that character is. Number two, Breakfast at Tiffany's, we talked about. And, of course, number one, in pretty much everybody's list, is Birth of a Nation. I guess the final question to you, Adam, is, and this is a tough one, when we talk about those movies, should they be available for you to stream? That really is a tough question, Alan. I, I, I mean, I feel like it comes down to personal preference. I myself, I think it depends on the movie. Mo- films like Birth of a Nation, I don't think should exist anymore. 
purely because... Should we see it, though, in terms of its context, we should teach it in terms of, like, look, this is abhorrent? No, I feel like if you haven't seen it, then you, you shouldn't see it. It's, there's nothing to learn from them. Maybe, maybe you can learn how people were back in the day, but I think it's important to move on from that. Rather than watch the film, maybe just find out what the film was about. Adam Wallace is a writer with Global News Online. Thank you so much for being on the program.